I don't know about you, that just reminds me of being in the family room with family singing songs together, around the campfire singing songs, where one would call it out and the next would would lead it in singing. So tonight, uh, you just call out a scripture and I'll preach a sermon on that. Who would like to? No, we won't do that. <laughs> oh, I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> Hezekiah, followed up by Leviticus. We'll go through the whole book tonight. You know, as as Jim was leading us in that, my train of thought obviously went in that direction. But uh, I thought, you know, uh, each of us needs to be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have at a drop of a hat. We don't have to answer every question. We don't have to speak to every verse. But we should be able to say what Jesus is doing in our heart lately, if not today or the last few hours. And so uh, I want to encourage you, when we come to God's Word like this, we're wanting to hear from Jesus. He's asked me to talk tonight, but it's not about what I'm saying. It's not even about what you're hearing. It's about what He wants to put into our hearts. So I just want to pray and ask God to do the miracle that He does in preaching. Heavenly Father, I thank You that You've given us Your written Word that sheds light, Jesus, on you, the living word. So, Lord, I ask that you will supernaturally breathe on your passages of Scripture again tonight. And, Lord, would you feed us in a way that we would be ready to give the hope that you give us tonight to anybody around us. So, Lord, we are gospel presenters in training tonight. Ready to hear what you have for us, yes, but not just for us, to be able to give it to someone around us as well. So, Lord, help us to not only hear and not only obey, but would you help us to share. In your name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Grab your Bible and turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 6. We'll look at verse 19 through 24 tonight. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. In many ways, it's a continuation this evening on what I shared this morning in God's Word about being entrusted. He has entrusted us with so much that we are to trust Him with everything. In fact, a couple of the scriptures we looked at this morning we'll be focusing in on tonight at Matthew 6, 19-24. We'll be there in just a minute. But we're looking at kingdom priorities and the power of one. And we'll get to that here in a minute. As you're navigating to uh, Matthew 6, uh, I want to share a, a memory. It was uh, a few years back now. I, I bought a five-gallon bucket of paint because I was going to paint our kitchen in Ohio. And... Uh, I had great hopes of making the kitchen look better. It needed paint. It was kind of old, and it needed a fresh coat of paint. But uh, like uh, many things, I I had good intentions, but I I never really got around to it. I had purchased the paint. All the supplies were ready. But it was a project that would always be some other weekend, just not now. Well, my wife, she uh, got tired of waiting for me and my answer of always being well well, next weekend or next month i'll finally get to it someday and so she said i've got three vacation days coming up it's a school break you have to work i'm going to paint the kitchen i'm not going to wait any longer 
Now, this is a great tactic, guys. If you've not discovered this yet, wait long enough, and then maybe uh, someone else in the house will do it. But So Carrie decided on her vacation time she was going to paint the kitchen, and so she started in day one working hard painting the kitchen, and I came home from work on that first day. Now, remember, I wasn't helping out at all, and I noticed something looked funny, but I was wise enough to keep my mouth shut. If you're not helping with the painting, you just be quiet. That's, that's what my wisdom was telling me. And, and so I went back to work the next day, and Carrie worked really hard the second day and really hard the third day. And I came home on the third day, and I found her in the kitchen. She said, it's all worthless. It's a waste. All my three days of vacation are wasted. And I looked at the kitchen, and I didn't want to agree, but I thought, I, I, think, I think you're right. And what had happened was, is she took this five-gallon bucket of paint, and she didn't realize it had been many months since I bought it. It wasn't stirred. It wasn't mixed. And so as she began to paint, there was different hues of this off-white. It was kind of this white tie-dye look in the kitchen, and, and she was just beside herself. All my vacation time is wasted. I don't know if you've ever had an experience where you put a lot of effort in, you took time, you worked hard, you were diligent, and and it didn't turn out the way you hoped. It was all wasted. You try to put a better spin on it, but if you just get honest, it was a loss. We can each identify with something like that in our life, but I want to direct your mind to something even worse than a loss of a few vacation days, something even worse than a loss of of paint, a loss of, of what you would hope to see happen in your kitchen, I want you to imagine with me that someday that you come to the end of your life, and what if you would look back and you would say, it was all for nothing. Everything that I thought was valuable is not valuable. And the things that I should have focused on, I didn't focus on. What would it be like if you came to the end of your life and it was all for nothing? Can you imagine what that would feel like? I want to start tonight with this thought. It will be up on the screen. You and I, we cannot afford to miss what Jesus is saying in this passage in Matthew 6, 19-24. We can't afford to miss it. If we're not careful, we will waste our life. That's what Jesus is saying, my paraphrase or summary of these scriptures. If we're not careful, you will waste your life. Look with me at Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust Do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body would be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is using three illustrations here to get his point across in this passage. The illustration of treasure, the illustration of our eyes and illumination, and the illustration of a servant. To help us unpack that tonight, I want to ask three questions that will help us look and get a better picture at what Jesus is saying in these stories. But before I do that, I want to 
uh, share a story that I read a, a while back that gives me some laughter, some pause. It's from the theologian George W. Truett. Pastor Truett was invited to a wealthy Texan's home for dinner. He went to this Texan's house and he saw the house was massive. It was just a typical uh, ranch of this lavish, huge ranch of a house in Texas. And he saw this big house and, and the Texan said, you know, when I came here, I had nothing and, and all of this house is mine. I built it myself. Isn't it amazing? The pastor has dinner and this lavish meal and he's just taking in the whole thing. And then right after dinner, the Wealthy Texan takes Pastor Truett out on the property and he walks him out and he says, uh, Pastor Truett, I, I want you to, to look to the north. Do you see all those oil derricks, all the oil field out there? When I came, I had nothing, but all of that is mine. I own every bit of it. Isn't that amazing? Not really getting too much of a response from Pastor Truett. So the wealthy Texan looks to the south. He says, look over here. See all that land as far as you can see to the south. All those crops, all of that is mine. When I came, I had nothing, but I acquired that as well. I planted it, and all of that harvest is mine. Then he said, now look look over here to the left. You, you see all that cattle? All of that cattle is mine. Now look to the right. See that forest over there? That forest is not mine yet. But I'm working on it. Soon everything in your sight will be mine. Pastor Truett, a little taken back by the amazing dinner, the big house, all this tour of all the lands, he looked to the Texan and he said, How much do you have up there? The Texan lowered his head and he said, I never really thought about it like that. It's easy for us to look at others around us who have tremendous wealth, or at least more than what we have, and think, they're not very grateful for all they have. But when we look at what's been entrusted to us, do we have stockpiles here on earth, or do we have a stockpile in heaven? That's what Pastor Truett was talking about with this wealthy Texan, and it brings us to what Jesus says. In fact, this scripture could be one that Pastor Truett could have easily used with this Texan to ask this question, and it's the question this, where is your treasure? Matthew six nineteen and 21 talks to us about that. In verse 19, it literally says, if you read it literally, do not treasure up for yourself treasures. The NIV says don't store up treasures, but, but do not treasure up, do not hoard up, do not hang on to treasures for yourself. See, Jesus calls us to stop investing our lives in temporary possessions, temporary pursuits, temporary achievements, but to invest in something bigger. Where is your treasure? Jesus is asking that question. It's... It's just not worth it to stockpile things here. One way to stockpile stuff is to live for the approval of other people. When we live for the praise of men, sometimes we get so caught up in what they think and what they want and we feel good about things and, and we, we hoard in, we safeguard. Everybody feels good with me. And so I'm stockpiling treasure here on earth. And Jesus says, where your treasure is, remember from this morning, there your heart will be also. Is your heart living for the praise of men, the praise of women, or is your heart living for God? Where is your treasure, Jesus asks. Another way that we stockpile here on earth 
is to have an attitude that I gotta have more. I've got to do more. I've got to be more. I, I, I buy that house, but it was a starter house. I, I, I have to have the upgrade house. Uh, I had a kitchen that, that had running water and it had an oven and maybe even had a microwave, but it's, it's old and I, 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 I just have to update the kitchen. I have to do that. I, 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 I have a TV, but I need a, a bigger TV. I, I need a newer TV, a brighter TV. I, I have a phone and it, it still dials, but there's a new version of the phone out. I've, I've got to get the next phone. I've got to get the 4. I've got to get the 5. I've got to get the 6. I've got to get the 12. I've got to get the Apple 37. I, I, I have to get that new thing of everything. Jesus says, where is your treasure? Another way to stockpile treasure here on earth is stockpiling not only approval, not only possessions, but we can stockpile our accomplishments and our experiences. Don't miss this. Our job, our success we have in job, our educational achievements, the relational security that we have with others, the comfort that we have managed to string together, our relaxation that we have built up one upon another. This can be a tricky, I've been there, I've done that, I've bought the t-shirt, I've had all the experiences in life that I want to have, and that's what I value. I could live my life for an experience Or for what I have experienced. Or in reverse, I could live my life for what I haven't had to experience. I've never had to stoop that low. I've never had to do that. I've kept myself from that. And we begin, if we get honest, to see that that is what we really, really treasure. Ask yourself, what would it be like to come to the end of your life and find out that it was all for nothing? It was a waste. It would be a tragedy. You see, Jesus is not saying that it's wrong to buy another house. He's not saying that it's wrong to update your kitchen. He's not saying it's wrong to buy a TV. It's not wrong to buy a phone. It's not wrong for those things. But if that's where your treasure is, if that's what you stockpile, you will find it is not worth it. Why does Jesus say this? Those things aren't evil. Praise from people is not necessarily evil. Relationships aren't necessarily evil. Success, job education is not necessarily evil. Of course not. Jesus is saying if that's where your treasure is, you'll find your heart in those things, and that is where the tragedy is. I don't know if you have found the principle of how things depreciate in value. I noticed again this month we had an old tube television that worked fine, but for whatever reason we just didn't need it. So I put it out on the curb, assuming that somebody would want it. Had a sign, works great with remote, with the, the uh, what do you call that booklet, with the, the like warranty booklet and all those things, all, all that right there, and, and no one took it. Well, I thought, sure, the, the trash guys would come and they'd want to take it and sell it. They didn't want to take it. I found out later that if you don't find the right time of year, you have to pay for someone to take that for you because of what's in that. 
I started looking and seeing things differently as they would drive around my neighborhood and, and go to some of your houses and other neighborhoods and see that I'm not the only one who's got a tube TV out on the side of the street and, and you can find them everywhere. What used to cost hundreds of dollars that still works is of little to no value. It's depreciated. There's something better. There's always something more. And, and the same principle happens. Where is your treasure? Jesus asks. It's worthless. If that's what we put our confidence in. First Timothy 6, 7. We have brought nothing into this world. We can take nothing out of it. In verse 21, we see that where our treasure is, our heart will be also. In Scripture, our heart, it's not just the organ of our body that pumps blood. No, in Scripture, it talks about the center of our whole being. Life springs from our heart. Where your heart is, it's dictated by what you love. We talked this morning how you can leverage that. It is an indicator. It is a litmus test of how your heart is doing. Find out where your treasure is, and it'll tell you where your heart is. But you can use it in reverse. If you're not happy where your heart is, you can begin to start putting your treasure in the things of God, start stockpiling the things of God, start valuing the things of God, start listening to Him. What He tells you is important, and you'll find your heart will quickly begin to follow. As we sang tonight, as I'm following Him, I can't just stay still. For a little bit, maybe. But then he's out of sight, as Jim said. It's, 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 I have to be willing to let my heart go where he's telling me to place my treasure. The things you love are the things you're devoted to. Deuteronomy 6.5, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. What captures your mind? What captures your heart? If you look at your calendar, if you look at your bank statement, it will give you an idea of what is important to you. So let's look at the nitty-gritty of how this works. Let's talk about our job. Why do you work? Why did you work? Do you work just to make money? Did you work just to build resources? Or did you work so you could share the love of Jesus with people around you? Did you work so you could be God's missionary to encourage other Christians? Did you work so you could give a reason for the hope that you have in Jesus? Was your job part of of the way you would serve your employer, the way you would serve Jesus? Or was it just a means to get cash in the end? Think about how we teach our children. As parents, we tell our kids, do your homework. Why are they doing their homework? Just to get good grades? Think of how we tell our kids, prepare for the big game. Think about what we tell our kids, how often we tell them, work hard, work on school, work on that instrument, work at that sport. But do we ever say, hey, let's take time, let's invest in spiritual things tonight. Let's take some quality time and let's pray together. Let's take some time and study God's Word together. Let's take some time and go out on a treasure hunt. Let's begin to see what God would lead us to. Who could I bless tonight? What would that look like? Or do we just pass on a work ethic, communicating a treasure placement that is different than what Jesus wants? What about our money? Could we witness with our bank statement? Now the obvious thing is looking at giving tithes and offerings but don't stop there 10 percent for god and 90 percent for you right well well, no it's 10 percent to the storehouse and 90 percent for for you and god to go in together and say how can i best leverage this for your kingdom taking care of my family absolutely but pouring into his work wherever it is jesus asked the question where is your treasure now look at verse 22 and 23 again the eye is the lamp of the body 
If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus, I think, is asking a question. I would summarize it like this. How is your vision? Jesus uses a physical attribute of vision to teach us an eternal truth. Our eyes allow us to internalize the world around us. We take everything in through our eyes, and I guess we take it in through our ears as well, but so much we take in visually. If our eyes are good, our whole body receives the illumination, the light, the information. If our eyes are bad, our whole body takes in the bad information, the bad darkness. We were in, not Olathe, Kansas, where we live, Carrie. Uh, Belt, Missouri, thank you. Just south of of uh, seminary there in Kansas City and and you you get in the rhythms of your day and uh, there was a big ice storm that happened when we lived there and, and and I I just I hated scraping the windshield and I only had to go to Walmart and Walmart was not too far from our house less than a mile from our house I had driven that path so many times I could have done it with my eyes closed and so I thought what's the use of scraping the whole windshield I just need to scrape a little hole that I could see out of and I could get to Walmart before anybody would ever see me it, I, I could almost drive a golf ball to Walmart from our house. So I scraped a little hole on the driver's side and, and I began to pull out of the driveway and I made down the road. There was only like three turns to get to Walmart. I'd done this so many times and I was getting a little bit confident. I picked up a little bit of speed and I was now going 20, 30, 35 miles an hour getting to Walmart and I hear a big bang like a gunshot and and what I didn't notice, I was going the right direction but I was too close to the curb and my tire hit the curb head on and it popped the tire. What I thought I could see was so limited. And that lack of vision brought tragic consequence. I had been there before. I would seen it so many times. And the question, how was my vision? It was poor. My memory was strong, but I couldn't see clearly around me. It's one thing to have been there before. It's another thing to clearly see where am I at in the scope of the lines. Where am I at in relationship to this curb? And I think spiritually, Jesus wants to ask us, are you, are you following me? Are you moving by memory? Or, or can you see? If your eyes are bad, darkness comes in. If your eyes are good, it illuminates your whole life. Jesus says, hey, I want you to see clearly. Jesus calls us to see the reality that God's perspective leads to life. And the world's perspective leads to death. When your eyes are fixed on Jesus, we see God's perspective and it leads us to life. Everything else is distorted. It will lead to a collision. It will lead to a bang. It will lead to a catastrophe that is costly and it is not worth the price. But I can handle this area of my life all by myself. I can put it on autopilot. I've been here before, friend. That's just when the enemy wants to sneak in. That's just when he wants to bring a collision that you didn't expect. You can technically see some of the road. You can technically see some of the path. But you've limited your view and you've not allowed Jesus to open your eyes to the things that you need. And it can end in a tragedy. See, yesterday's vision, yesterday's memory doesn't cut it for today's vision. The path to collision leads to death. Well, let's look at the final verse. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. 
Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The original language says you cannot serve both God and mammon. The literal translation is stuff. I like that. Deep theological word, stuff. Things. All the stuff you hang on to that you treasure. You can't serve God and that stuff. See, the very meaning of having a master is that you have one master. You can't serve two masters. You can't have a co-master. Now, most of us, if we're really honest, this is something that we could struggle with. Oh, we have a main master, God. God is in charge of all the heavens. He's in charge of heaven and hell. And He's in charge of the big sins. But when it comes to Monday through Friday, God, you're my master over here. But when I'm at work, when I'm on my day off, I have something else that I let lead me. God, I serve you and, and I want to put you first, but, but you've never met my spouse, God. They're kind of demanding and they want me to do things their way. You've never met my parents, God, and you don't know what they're like. And they say this is how family has to operate. And so I serve God and my spouse. I serve God and my family. I serve God and my employer. God, I, I thank you for sending your son to die on the cross, but, but you've not been to my work. You don't know the pressure. You don't know the political scene. And so, God, I serve you, but, but I, I also have to, to kind of just keep the peace. And, and really, I, I've got to serve the other master of, of my boss as well. And, and Jesus is saying, you can't serve God and all that stuff. You have to have one master. Jesus says, you can't serve both God and, and then you fill in the blank. Whatever it is for you. Only one master. In the Old Testament, Israel's main problem was this. They loved serving God, but they also wanted to keep some idols on the side. Now, how many times in the Old Testament do we say, see that God says to Israel, Oh, Israel, I'm so proud of you. You had 19 idols and you got rid of most of them. Good job. You only hang on to three. And no, get rid of them all. Well, well, you let go of most of the things, but it was just a few. I mean, percentages, you know, come on, God. It was get rid of all of it. You can't serve both God and stuff. That's what Jesus is saying, I believe, to us in this passage. Jesus calls us to repent from serving two masters because it destroys our devotion to God. Now, check this out. You and I, we cannot be devoted to God and have any other master in our life. So what does Jesus want to do with that? These are three questions looking at Jesus' three illustrations here. I, I suggest this. There's three solutions that I think Jesus is alluding to here. What do we do with what Jesus said? I believe he wants us to hang on to the power of focus, the power of one. First, I think from the scripture we can see that we are called to seek one treasure. How? Sidestep the temporal and stockpile the eternal. There are things all around you, things around you that are not evil, they're not necessarily wrong in and of themselves, but we have to learn to sidestep them and say, that's not what I'm going to focus on. And we have to be able to have eyes to see the eternal and stockpile the eternal. Sidestep the things that are temporary and stockpile the things that are eternal. 
Jesus says, if you live this way, it will not only bless you, it will bless every single person around you. Second, I believe that Jesus is asking us to not only seek one treasure, but to seek one vision. To lock your eyes on the light of Christ. A few years back, my wife broke down and joined the ranks of soccer mom before we really had a daughter in soccer and she wanted to get a silver Honda Odyssey minivan. We still have that. It's, it's no longer shiny or new. It's beaten up and worn in. But I'll never forget when we first got that uh, silver minivan. I'm there in the church in Ohio in the parking lot and I leave church and I get into the van. I stick my key in the ignition and it won't work. I turn the key over and it won't work. And then I recognize the things in the car, not mine. And I was in the wrong silver Honda Odyssey. I had no idea how many gazillion silver Honda Odysseys existed in the world until we had one. But once we owned a silver Honda Odyssey minivan, I would see them everywhere. My eyes were trained to look and see these minivans. And the thought was, well, everybody just bought one as soon as we did. Now, ours was like six, seven years old when we bought it. It wasn't new, and and that didn't happen. It wasn't that everybody went out and joined with us. I had eyes that were locked to see one kind of vehicle, and then I saw them everywhere. You've had that experience with something in your life. I think that's what Jesus wants us to do, is when we, we could lock our eyes on Jesus we're not just positive self-help talk, trying to, you know, just, you know, fake it till you make it kind of thing. No, 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 no. But when I train my eyes and my ears to look for Jesus sightings, to hear the voice of God, then I begin to hear and see him all over the place. And when my eyes are fixed on Jesus, it brings light into my soul. It helps me see the path more clearly. Well, I can see a little bit, Brady. I've scraped a little bit through the windshield. Hey, it ends in a devastating collision. But when Jesus opens our eyes to see his movement all around us, it's not just light for you. It's light for every person around you. And Jesus says, have the power of one, one vision. I challenge you, we do this in our discipleship gatherings, go on a God hunt. The question is not if Jesus is moving and active in your life or in the life of someone around you in the last seven days or in the next seven days. The question is, will you see it? promise you he's on the move. And for us to to follow him and be on the move as well, we've got to see where he's at. We've got to hear. And we can practice this together. Sometimes I think we're so afraid of making a mistake that we don't practice it. Have you ever gone to a practice where no one's allowed to make mistakes? What if we went out to upwards? What if you told your team, no mistakes today? It's not practice. It's torture. What if you went to a piano lesson and there's no mistakes? You start fretting all you do is make mistakes. Jesus says, hey, hey, come, come follow me. And you won't see it all the time, but let, let's practice the presence of God, like Brother Lawrence says in his book, practicing the presence of God. There is power when we focus on him. Train our eyes to see, train our mouth to speak what it is that he is doing. Finally, pray and ask God, teach my heart. To want your will above any other. Ask God to give you eyes to see what's important to him. Finally, the third thought here. We can seek one treasure. We can seek one vision. I believe out of these passages here, I think Jesus wants to seek 
us to seek one master. We are to get off of the fence and get on our face before God. I'm not on the fence, Brady. I, I believe in God. Yeah. So do the children of Israel. We serve you, God. You're our, you're our master. But, but then there's all these other little masters around us. Friend, we are straddling the fence. One foot squarely in the kingdom of God and the other foot squarely in our own kingdom. Right. Well, we claim the things of God. But he says, why are you going to straddle the fence? You cannot serve two things. You've got to put all your weight in me. Get off the fence and get on your face before God. Have one master. That means no backup plan. When you straddle the fence, you're not taking risks. You are, you're not leveraging it for God. In fact, all you do when you straddle the fence is you find that you will split yourself in half and you're no good to either kingdom. Well, how do I do that? How do I fall on my face? I like the passage of Scripture. It would be a whole other message. I can't preach that tonight. But 1 Kings 18, 21, we find the thought here. How long will you go on limping between two opinions, the King James puts it. Elijah, battling the prophets of Baal, talking to the people, he says these words. How long will you go on limping between two opinions? In other words, God is Good. Baal is good. Which shall we choose, God or Baal? Don't limp around. He says, get off the fence, get on your face, and seek one treasure. Seek one vision, and seek one master. Heavenly Father, we've heard your word tonight. I would venture to say for most of us, It's not the first time that we've heard these scriptures or a teaching like this. But Lord, we're not here tonight to have our spiritual funny bone tickled or to have some new trivial pursuit answer to the questions that can prove how smart we are theologically. We want your very breath, the Ruach, the wind of your spirit to breathe on us tonight. Lord, I thank you for what you're telling us about treasure, what you're telling us about our eyes and vision, what you're telling us about how we serve one master. Lord, you have entrusted so much to us. Would you give us boldness to fully trust you with everything we have, everything we are, everything we don't have, and everything that we're not? Lord, I thank you for this room of saints here tonight. What we've heard, Jesus, I know is for us, but it's not just for us. Would you give us the divine appointment this week? I believe, Lord, there's five or six people that you are putting your message in their heart for them to reteach it, to reshare it, to give the reason for the hope that they have, that they have one treasure, they have one vision, they have one master. And it's not because they were being scolded to, it's because it's the best life possible. And Lord, would you begin to help them fill in the blanks of their own story of how you have been faithful again and again and again. Lord, would you give correction and warning where needed? For some, Lord, it may be easy to just depend on yesterday's vision. 
Lord, would you give us fresh insight from you today? Thank you, Jesus. In advance, before we see the evidence of what you do with the fruit in our life from this passage, I thank you for what you're going to do in and through us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.